Hi, everyone. This is Brian K. Wright. You're about to hear Success Profiles Radio. I just want to take a moment before the show to share with you our new sponsor. I've been working with BestRadioTravel.com to bring the lowest hotel prices to my loyal listeners. Stay tuned during the upcoming show to hear more about how you can save 15 to 30% off your hotel rates. Now let's start the show. It's time for Success Profiles Radio with your host, Brian K. Wright. Have you ever wondered if there's more to life than you're currently living? Then Success Profiles Radio is the program for you. Every week, we'll explore different aspects of success and how to apply them to your life. Guests will come from many different backgrounds, including expertise in leadership, business, relationships, careers, networking, health, overcoming adversity, and much more. Every show is a dose of inspiration. This is Success Profiles Radio. And now, here's your host, Brian K. Wright. Hello and welcome to Success Profiles Radio. I'm your host, Brian K. Wright, and it is an absolute pleasure to be with you here today. I'm honored that you chose to spend part of your day with me here, and I'm very thankful for that. This is going to be such a great show. I cannot wait. I'll be introducing my guest shortly, and this is going to be fun, and it's going to be informative. I do want to take a minute or two, as always, to share some things I've been learning and thinking about lately, and I usually do this every week. Before I forget, though, this episode is brought to you by Phone Sites. With Phone Sites, you can build a website or sales funnel from your mobile device in five minutes or less without any technical skills or without downloading an app. Try it for free for 14 days at phonesites.com forward slash Brian. Last week, we celebrated Thanksgiving in the United States, and I love this holiday because it reminds us to be thankful for all of our blessings. I also believe that we should be thankful every day and not just one day a year. As I reflect on my blessings, I think of my family and friends, my mentors, my clients, and my faithful listeners to the show. I wouldn't be where I am now without any of you, and so I'm grateful for that. Sometimes, though, we are in tough situations where we are having a hard time being thankful for what's going on around us. If that's your current situation, I would encourage you to take out a sheet of paper and write down a list of things that you can be thankful for. The first time I did this exercise, I wrote down 100 things. That might sound like a daunting task, but I'll tell you what, the first five or ten of these will be really easy. But as you continue past the obvious items that you're thankful for, you'll start to think about the things that you take for granted. For example, the air that you breathe the beauty of nature, the changing seasons. There are blessings in everything we see, if only we would make up our minds to notice them. Do this exercise today and see how that helps you refocus. You will be so very glad you did. With all this in mind, I want to introduce my very special guest, and I would love for you to download and subscribe to Success Profiles Radio on iTunes for free if you've not done so. My guest this week, coming back for the second time, is Jonathan Horton. Let me tell you about him. Jonathan Horton is a world-class athlete and was a member of the U.S. men's Olympic gymnastics team, winning multiple medals in the 2008 Beijing Olympics, and he also qualified for the 2012 Olympics. In addition, he also won multiple national championships, and when he competed at the University of Oklahoma in college, his team won the national championship three out of four years, and he won six individual national titles. He's also competed in the American Ninja Warrior competition, as now as motivational speaker looking to make a difference in the lives of those around him. He is the author of the book, If I Had Known, Lessons from an Olympic Pro Athlete, as well as his brand new book called Falling Forward, How an Ordinary Kid Failed His Way to His Olympic Dream. We have so much to talk about today. So here we are with my very special guest and my good friend, Jonathan Orton. Jonathan, how are you today? Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much, Brian. I appreciate that awesome introduction. You're too nice, man. If you only told people all the times that I failed and fell flat on my face, then they'd really be like, are we really listening to this guy right now? But I appreciate it. 
You're welcome. And we will explore some of that during the show because it hasn't been all sunshine and unicorns and roses. I know it hasn't because I know you pretty well and I know your story. And I'm looking forward to sharing that with my audience today. So let me ask you this. Have you always wanted to be a gymnast? How early did you get started? Yeah. So, you know, I honestly, I don't remember the beginning of my career that well. I was only four years old and I'll just briefly you know, take our listeners through probably the most ridiculous story they are going to hear today. I know that you know it pretty well, yep. um, but when I was four, I was really kind of an ADD, rambunctious kid. I was bouncing off the walls. I, I kid you not, I was that kid that walked around with the monkey backpack and, and the leash attached to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, my parents couldn't take their eyes off me or I would just, I'd take off. Well, my mom took me shopping one day. It's actually in the middle of a Target and she lost me. She forgot the leash that day, I guess, and she couldn't find me. And after about 10 minutes of searching, the manager of the store came up to her, and my mom was in panic mode. He said, ma'am, calm down. I found your son. And he pointed straight to the top of the ceiling. And there I was uh, with my arms and legs wrapped around a support beam in the middle of the store, about 25 feet up. I just climbed to the very top, not even thinking twice about it. And everybody was blown away by it. Anyways, Slid down the pole, and my mom told my dad about it that night. And my dad was basically like, "Wow, our son's a freak. We should probably put him in gymnastics or something like that." Mm-hmm. And so it was because of that moment they put me in the sport. And you know, I was so young; I didn't know what I was getting into. Uh, but I quickly fell in love with the aspect of it. You know, anybody that's ever done gymnastics or dabbled in it at all just knows the the love of being able to swing on the bars and the ropes and jump on the trampolines play in the foam pits and it was just all of those little aspects of the sport that just i fell in love with it right away and i never fell out of love with it even to, to this day you know i'm gonna turn 34 next month i still love gymnastics it's just a part of who i am yeah, absolutely. I will tell you, though, for the audience out there, for someone who's ever watched him do his Olympic routine uh, when he was on television during the Olympics, it looked effortless, but it certainly was not. None of this came easily for you, did it? No, I mean, shoot, my my career was full of just ups and downs. It just, you know, you get into something that you think you love. And, you know, I talk to a lot of business people these days. I mean, network marketers and people in real estate and people, you know, entrepreneurs. I, I meet so many ambitious people, which is fantastic. But so oftentimes I meet people that they fall in love with a career or a sport or whatever it is. And they're like, yes, this is awesome. I found my passion. You know, I finally found something that I'm willing to do forever. And it's gonna be so great. And before they know it, all of a sudden they're down in the dumps. They're like, I I thought I found the right thing. You know, I I really loved this career, but ah, it's not for me. Well, I think that that is just kind of across the board what you have to go through. It's the ups and downs. It's the roller coaster ride. Because for me, I fell in love with gymnastics right away. But when I was around six years old and started competing, I quickly realized I wasn't any good at it. Mm. I I would leave every competition empty-handed. No ribbons, no trophies, no medals around my neck. And as a young kid who loved what I was doing, I started wondering right away, like, what the heck? Like, why am I in this? I'm not any good at this. I wasn't the strongest. I wasn't the fastest. And I really like what drove me for a while was thinking back on how much I just loved playing around in the gym. It was that that little um, that spark that got me started that I had to remind myself of even when I was in those like dark moments. Oh, wait, you know what? I actually do 
remember how much I like this. Mm-hmm. And so if I just kept moving forward, um, you know, I, I just kept rediscovering every single day how much I loved it. Cause it's really easy to forget about how much we love what we're doing when we hit a roadblock. And yeah. so, um, you know, I have so many stories that I know we would need a 24 hour long show for me to tell about all of the times that I came up short and failed. I didn't have any success in the sport until I was nearly 16 years old. I lost a lot of competitions. I got dead last at big, important ones. Um, and you know, I had some disastrous moments where not only was I telling myself I should probably quit right now, but other people were like, Hey John, this probably isn't the right path for you. Find something different. Yeah. In fact, in your first major competition, which is called future stars, you ended up last, but you were the only person in that whole group of 50 guys who ended up being a two time Olympian and won Olympic medals out of all of those 50 guys. You were last in that competition, but you're the, <laughs> you're the only one that excelled to that degree. That was interesting. Yeah, you know, that's one of my favorite stories to tell. And when I'm speaking in front of live audiences, it's probably my most impactful moment from my entire career. I've got a couple other ones, but this one is really kind of hits big for me and for others because I think it just goes to show, you know, what the power of persistence is. So when I was 11 years old, I qualified to my first, I guess you can say, somewhat important gymnastics event, and it was called the Future Stars Nationals. And there were 50 boys that got to go to this competition. It was at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs. And to me, I felt like this is going to be my big breakout moment. I I remember telling myself, okay, this is it. Like, I haven't had any success up to this point, but this is where I'm going to finally show people that this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be a gymnast. And one day I can be an Olympian. And so at this event, out out of the 50 boys that were there, the top 15 were going to make the first level of the U.S. gymnastics national team. And there's several levels. There's the future stars level, the junior, the senior, and then there's the Olympic level. I know it gets confusing. But anyways, so I go to this event, and there's six events in men's gymnastics. And my first five out of the six, my routines were flawless, the best I'd ever been in my entire life until I got to the sixth one, which was the pommel horse. And for our listeners that don't know what the pommel horse is, it's really just this kind of weird rectangular thing with these wooden handles on top. And we kind of hover over it using our hands. We've got like break dance across the surface of it. Well, I go to the pommel horse and my coach right before my routine, he walks up to me and he says, Hey John, man, this is the best you've ever been. I don't know if you know this, but going into your last routine on the pommel horse, you're currently in the top 10. And I looked at him, I was like, holy cow, like I might actually be able to make the national team and step one of becoming an Olympian in the future one day will be complete. Anyways, I jump up on the pommel horse and disaster strikes. I immediately fell off, jump back up again, fell off again, and then proceeded to fall off four more times after that. Mm. And I ended up scoring a 1.9 out of a 10 on my pommel horse routine. And I finished in dead last out of all 50 of those kids. I finished in dead last, and I was absolutely devastated. I, I wanted to quit. I never wanted to see a gym again. And it was this—it was that same spark that was in my head that said, go back to the gym, John. Do you want to be an Olympian? Get back in there and do it again. Well, many years later when I was 22, out of all 50 of the kids, like you said, I was the only one out of that group of 50 who ended up going to the Olympics and winning two Olympic medals. I started the worst kid in the nation. I became the second-best gymnast in the entire planet. And... um you know, I, I tell people that story, they're blown away by it because they think, well, you're an Olympian. You must 
you must have been some kind of a prodigy when you were growing up. Well, that yeah. wasn't my story. I wasn't very good. I had yeah. to make myself good over time. Wow, that is absolutely fantastic. We are coming up against our very first break. We have so much to talk about and not nearly enough time to do it. We would, as you said, we would probably have to do about 24 of these shows in a row to get your complete story, but we don't have that kind of time. But I'll tell you what, we are going to talk about more of Jonathan's Olympic journey, and we're going to talk about his book called Failing Forward, How an Ordinary Kid Failed His Way to the Olympic Dream. And we will talk about all that when we come back with my very special guest, Jonathan Horton. And please stay with us. Don't go away. If you've not picked up my recent book, it's called Success Profiles, Conversations with High Achievers, Volume 2. Jonathan is one of the people that is in that book. Pick it up on Amazon right now. It's on Kindle for 99 cents as of this moment. We'll be right back. Come back for Success Profiles Radio. The mission is to motivate and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. This is Success Profiles Radio. Hi, everyone. This is Brian K. Wright, Success Profiles Radio, and I just want to let you know something. Toginet Radio has partnered with one of the largest travel booking engines in the world to offer savings of 15 to 30% or more on hotel booking fees through our own web portal, www.bestradiotravel.com. Discover the discount you can receive by going to bestradiotravel.com forward slash Brian, that's B-R-I-A-N, to see for yourself. This is a custom booking site for the listeners of my show through Toginet Radio. We've negotiated special rates just for you at over 650,000 hotels worldwide to save our customers money. Our members leverage our massive buying power to save thousands of dollars by booking with us. BestRadioTravel.com can beat the best prices offered by any other major travel booking website. Please go to www.BestRadioTravel.com forward slash Brian. Sign up and enjoy the discounts right now. Once again, that is BestRadioTravel.com forward slash Brian. Have you ever thought about writing a book? Surveys show that 81% of people wish they could, but many never do. If you're one of those people, I can tell you why. You don't think you have time, you may not know how, or you might not believe you are a good enough writer. When you're working with an experienced coach, these reasons go away because I will help you every step of the way. If you want to know more about how to write a nonfiction book, whether it's business, self-help, or how-to, reach out to me at www.briankwright.com for more information. Once again, that's briankwright.com. Welcome back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles, if I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio. And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright. And we are back. This is Success Profiles Radio. My very special guest is Jonathan Horton. He is an Olympic gymnast two times. He's won two Olympic medals. And he's the author of the book called Following Forward, How an Ordinary Kid Failed His Way to His Olympic Dream. So I want to ask you, what do you believe is the greatest lesson that you've learned from gymnastics? Oh, wow. Um, that's a tough one. Greatest lesson I've ever learned. Um Shoot, I mean, there's so many different lessons that I've gotten from the sport. And, you know, it's really what my entire first book is about. Mm -hmm. um, if I had known, you know, I I was doing an interview 
um, when I retired from gymnastics, 32 years old, and I was actually doing an interview with Sports Illustrated, and that's where the idea for that book came from. The guy said, "Hey, what do you know now that you wish you had known when you got started in gymnastics?" And brilliant. I just like all of a sudden, boom! Like I started thinking of all of these different things that I know, and I think you know this might be cliche, but it really is just the power of persistence. Um, I think if I had to describe myself in one word, it would be persistent. Uh, I'm just one of those guys, when I set my sights on something, uh, it's like I don't have the ability in me to actually stop until I get where I see myself going. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the only way that you can succeed, right? I mean, I I don't know anybody that's has become an overnight success. I know there's like YouTubers out there and there's people on social media that do crazy things and they become overnight successes, but it's not, it's not real life. Um, most of the people that I know in my life, if not a hundred percent of them, it all took an extreme level of just commitment against all odds kind of, you know, persistence that I'm going to get where I want to be, and I think that's what gymnastics has taught me. I think that's why a lot of athletes become successful in careers after sports is because we learn at an early age that if we want to become great at our sport, it's not going to be easy. You're not going to win every time, and a lot of times the most powerful moments in our careers are the the miserable ones where when, when we lose. So maybe that's it. Maybe I've realized that my losses are the moments that drive me forward the most. Yeah. And there are no participation trophies in gymnastics. No, none. (laughs) Not at all. So let's talk about your book. Why did you decide to write this book? Yeah. So, you know, I've been toying with the idea of writing an autobiography for a while. And, you know, my first book that I wrote, it's like I said, it it just came from a wild idea from that interview with the guy from Sports Illustrated. But the the autobiography I've had in my mind for, for a long time, I knew that I had some stories that I wanted to share with people, uh, you know, gymnastics stories that I think people, you know, whether they're gymnastics fans or not, they can relate to them. And I just didn't really know how to put it down on paper at first. Actually, you know, that's why I called you yeah. and I'll plug, I'll plug you because without you, I, I couldn't have done it. Um, I, I just, I couldn't get my, my memories down on paper the way I was, I wanted to. And so, um, you know, you were so awesome to be able to talk to and help me ghostwrite the book and just to be able to get it down in front of me so I can look at it and go, okay, this story's great. This story's not so great. But I just, I felt like I had a lot, um, a lot of deep, meaningful experiences from my life to share, um, just not necessarily with only young upcoming, you know, people like the young generations, but just with everybody, mm-hmm. I do feel like the younger um, groups of people, they're going to, they can maybe take it in a little bit more, but um, I think it's a book for everyone. And it's just from A to Z from, mm-hmm. from the time I got into gymnastics to what it was like to, to retire and find a new career. And then there's a lot about my faith in it and my family and mm-hmm. just, the kind of legacy that I want to leave behind. And I've had a few people read the digital format that we have, you know, it's, it's going to be in print, uh, December 10th, but I've had a few people read it and they're like, wow, that was really emotional. Like I had people said they, they, they cried when they read uh, certain parts of the book and they were inspired by other parts. Yeah. And that, that's exactly what I wanted. I wanted yeah. people to see, you know, what my life has been and why, why I am the way I am. 
Yeah, it, it was an emotional experience for me to help you with this book, too, because I read certain parts of this and I, I thought, wow, this is so cool. And the fact that you and I are friends made it even more real for me. And I, I'll just say in front of the world, I am super, super proud of you. I mean, for for your career and your journey and for never giving up. It's a great lesson in perseverance. And I do agree. Perseverance is probably one of the greatest lessons you can learn from sports, not just gymnastics, but any sport at all, because it's not a straight line. Success does not happen from A to Z quickly. It ups and downs and and mountains and deep, deep, deep valleys. And we'll talk about some of that. In fact, you were really vulnerable about some of the things in this book. Was writing this therapeutic for you? Yeah, you know, it was extremely therapeutic. And there were even things that I had never shared with anybody that just kind of came out. And, you know, for our listeners, I'll kind of take them through like why, why I needed help. You and I, I mean, Shoot, correct me if I'm wrong. We were on the phone every day with each other for like a month. Yeah. Um, I just, and the more you asked me questions, the more memories popped into my head that I hadn't thought about. And Mm -hmm. a lot of that stuff ended up in the book. And as my wife was reading it for the first time, she was like, John, I didn't know that. And, um, and, you know, there's, it was really, really good for me to just get it out, put it on paper. Um, you know, one of my, it may not seem significant to some people, but one of my darkest moments, which I write about was when my, my teammates my national team, uh, all the national team and the Olympic team, they all get together every year. They vote on who the captain of the team should be. And towards the end of my career, I continued to struggle with injury after injury after injury. And I kind of I was the spoken leader of Team USA for many, many years. Yeah. And as I started to kind of fade away from my ability to perform for the guys, I guess they started looking at me as not their leader anymore. They voted me out of being the captain of the team. And um, there's just a quick little piece in the book about that. But uh, that was my wife looked at me and she goes, I didn't know that happened. Yeah. And um, it's really tough to transition from something that you've done your whole life. And I think just any kind of transition can be difficult. We don't always know how to process it. I didn't know how to process the end of my gymnastics career. And I think writing this book actually brought me a lot of closure. And um, it was just so great to be able to share it with you and then to finally see it um, for what it was. And I think when I finally – I don't even have a hard copy yet of myself. I think when I finally get it, I'm going to read it myself from – front to back. And I think it'll feel really, really good just to know, wow, here's my story. And part of my life has come to a close and let's keep living. Let's write another book, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I will tell you, and for anyone out there who's not written a book or who is in that journey right now, when you finally get a hard copy of your book in your hands, it's a very emotional experience. I would almost compare it to having a baby. Because it is your baby. You gave birth to this thing that you're now sharing with the world. My first book was very much like that. Even even my most recent book, which came out in October, I saw f- my physical copies for the first time, and I was very proud of it. And so do write a book. And if, if you've got a story to tell, and you all do, uh, I encourage you to do it. So let me ask you this, because you could have given up so easily. Why do you think a lot of people don't really pursue what they want in life? I think that it's so easy to fall. Like I said earlier, you fall in love with something and you have this huge goal. And the first thing you start to do is you start to think about all the obstacles. Yeah. So often, like I I do the same thing. I get started in something. And before 
I even take one step forward. I'm like, ooh, what if this happens? What if this happens? Well, what if this happens? Oh, I don't know if I can get through that. And instead of just taking one step at a time, and there's something that I learned in my gymnastics career that I think is really, really valuable. And my coach always shared this with me. A lot of times I jump up on, you know, let's say the high bar or the rings. And before I even did my first skill, I'm thinking about the dismount. And when you're not, when you're focused on the end, instead of just one step at a time, it's extremely daunting. You're thinking about the dismount. And the next thing you know, you're like, Oh, I've got all the stuff that I've got to do between it. But all I want to do is just get to the finish line. And I, I think that so so oftentimes we're just so focused on that final goal instead of mm-hmm. just being focused on the process. Yeah, the, per, the process is a beautiful thing, and I don't know if any of our listeners follow uh, Gary V. Mm-hmm. I'm a big Gary V. fan, and he yeah. talks about this more than anybody being in love with the process and not yeah. the you know. So you know, we want everybody wants to succeed. Everybody wants to you know. Most people, I'd say, want to be wealthy. They want to live in a nice home. They want to be financially free, and that's what they think about instead of thinking about, you know what? I'm going to work hard to get there, but I'm going to enjoy the journey along the way, the ups and downs and all that it entails. I don't want to just waste this life away dreaming. I'm just going to start doing a little bit and just wait to, wait to see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. We've got maybe three or four minutes until the next break. I want to talk about the power of intention. We did not discuss this last time, but I would love for you to share how the power of intention helped you to meet your wife. Oh, <laughs> well, in, in, in what way? Kind of. Um, well, you saw you saw her. You yeah. saw her. You were you were. Uh, she was visiting Oklahoma on a recruiting yeah. trip because she's a gymnast too. Mm-hmm. And you saw her and you just made up your mind that that's the girl you were going to marry. And your friends yeah. were telling you, you were crazy. <laughs> well, you know, I guess, I guess it's just kind of the, it's the same thing with gymnastics. You know, when I decided at 10 years old that I was going to be an Olympian yeah. in my head, there was nothing that could stop me. It didn't matter that I wasn't a good gymnast at the time. Well, when I met my wife, I was like, oh my gosh, that's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And I remember I, I looked over at one of my teammates. I said, hey. Uh, his name was Jake. I said, Jake, that's my girl right there. And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, I don't know. There's something about that girl. I just like, she's perfect. I haven't even talked to her yet. And he's like, dude, you don't know, know anything about her. And I was like, no, nah, man, I'm just telling you that's my girl. And I just, I, I made up my mind. And when I met her, she was exactly what I thought she was going to be. She was down to earth. She was smart. She was witty. Um, and she was perfect for me. And, you know, funny thing is, she couldn't stand me. So mm. we, uh, we actually went out um, with the gymnastics team um, the first day that I had met her, and I could barely get her to talk to me. She just thought I was a cocky, arrogant kid, which I may have been at that point. Um, and she didn't want anything to do with me. Well, I just kept going out of my way to try to talk to her a little more, and I eventually got her number at the end of the night. We started talking on the phone after you know she left from that, and before I knew it, she's like, you know what, John, you're not so bad. So – um, I, uh, yeah, you know, the power of intention, you're absolutely right. It's like you set your mind on something, you decide that's what you want. Not saying relationships work that way every time, but um, a lot of times in life, that's how it works. Fantastic. And we are coming up against our next break. My guest is Jonathan Horton. His book is called Falling Forward, How an Ordinary Kid Failed His Way to the Olympic Dream. And failing certainly is a huge part of the success track. We will come right back after the break. This is Success Profiles Radio. Please stay with us. Don't go away. We will return shortly and we'll discuss more with Jonathan Horton right after we come back. 
the mission is to motivate and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. This is Success Profiles Radio. Have you ever thought about writing a book? Surveys show that 81% of people wish they could, but many never do. If you're one of those people, I can tell you why. You don't think you have time, you may not know how, or you might not believe you are a good enough writer. When you're working with an experienced coach, these reasons go away because I will help you every step of the way. If you want to know more about how to write a nonfiction book, whether it's business, self-help, or how-to, reach out to me at www.briankwright.com for more information. Once again, that's briankwright.com. Reaching out from the heartland of the United States with quality programming, this is Toginet Radio. If you are in business, what is the number one thing that stops revenue growth? Not having enough leads. Data is the new gold rush. With phone sites, that is never an issue. You can generate as many leads as you want without paying a lead broker. With phone sites, you can build a website or sales funnel from your mobile device in five minutes or less without any technical skills or without downloading an app. It's easy and you have nothing to lose. Try it for free for 14 days at phonesites.com forward slash Brian. Once again, that's phonesites.com forward slash Brian. Welcome back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles, if I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio. And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright. And we're back. This is Success Profiles Radio. My very special guest this week is Jonathan Horton, Olympic gymnast. His book is called Falling Forward, How an Ordinary Kid Failed His Way to His Olympic Dream. And I would love to ask about the moment that you stepped on the floor at the Beijing Olympics for the first time. You were nervous, I suppose. Adrenaline probably took over for you at that time. Complete bananas. That's the best way I can explain it. Just like the craziest moment of my entire life was being in Beijing at the Olympic Games. Um, You know, you don't realize how big the Olympics is until you're finally in the moment. And, you know, one of the stories that that I shared in my book was a moment in the cafeteria. I'm not sure if you remember. Um, I was sitting in the cafeteria with my Olympic teammates and all of a sudden, we start hearing a bunch of commotion and now the cafeteria at the Olympic games for the, for the athletes, it's like the size of two football fields. It's huge because mm. they have to have all of the athletes from every country and every sport. They're all in there at the same time. Wow. Well, all of a sudden people start going crazy because here comes LeBron James and um, let's see, Kobe Bryant and Jason Kidd, all of these like big time famous people basketball team people forget that you know basketball is also an olympic sport they come in and they sit at a table right in front of me and my olympic teammates then i look behind me and the jamaican track team is sitting there with usain bolt and then a few tables away is michael phelps and the swim team and so i'm sitting here going holy cow I've got the NBA basketball Olympic team. I've got the world's fastest man over here, and I've got you know on land, and I've got the world fast world's fastest man in the water sitting over here. What is happening right now? Right, and it's just crazy. And there's so much hype around it. And the Olympic Village is like a small town, 
And then when you walk into these big, magnificent arenas with, you know, my arena had 40,000 people. I had never competed in front of more than like 5,000. And so here I am, my Olympic teammates, our hearts are pounding a million miles an hour. The adrenaline is raging. And I'll just never forget finishing that first routine. It was on the rinks. And when I hit the ground, all my teammates just looked at me and they were like, hey, bro, you're now an official Olympian. And it's the coolest thing ever. So it's just, it's hard to put into words the Olympic Games. It's the biggest sporting event in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And you won a silver medal, an individual silver medal in high bar. And if you've, if you've listening, have not seen this routine, go to YouTube, type in Jonathan Horton, 2008 Beijing Olympics, and you'll see his high bar routine. I, I watched it last night and I still get emotional when I watch it. Cause <laughs> I, I just, seriously, I, I think I've watched this thing hundreds of times. I'm constantly just rooting for you. I know how it's going to turn out, but it's still awesome. But uh, you know, what's interesting. And you talk about this in the book too. You were what seventh or eighth qualifying into the finals of that Olympic final. And you decided you weren't going to just do your normal routine, which is really out of the ordinary because gymnastics is so routine based. You decided to just change it all up and do all your most difficult moves in one routine. How did that go over? <laughs> Let's just say it didn't go over well in the beginning with my coaches. Um, so yeah, you're absolutely right. It, in gymnastics, when you get to major events, it doesn't even have to be the Olympics. It could be the World Championships or a World Cup or the National Championships. You, it's like unprecedented. You don't change your routine because we do the same routines hundreds, if not thousands, of times over and over again, so that it becomes just like autopilot. You jump up there on the equipment. You do your routine. The only way that you can make a mistake is just something mental happens, which gymnastics, I say, is 90% mental and 10% physical at the highest level, and a lot of mental mistakes do happen. I'm at the Olympics, and I finished in seventh place, which got me into the medal round on high bar, and I did probably my best routine ever to play seventh. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, I've got one more chance to compete on high bar. If I do my best routine ever again, the best I can hope is seventh. Well, I want to I want to try to win a medal here, if not gold. What can I do to change my routine? And so I got my coaches and my teammates together, and I said, "Hey guys, here's what I want to do. I want to take every skill that I can possibly think of that has tons of difficulty, throw it all in one routine, and then I'm going to do the world's hardest dismount that nobody else at this competition is doing. If I do it all together successfully, I think I've got a shot at winning. What do you guys think?" And they all stared at me like with these blank stares. My teammates looked at me like I was a complete idiot. And my coach looked at me and was like, no, absolutely not. Nobody in the history of the sport has ever changed their routine at the Olympics. Go do what you know how to do and hope for the best and just enjoy competing. We don't want you to fall and look like a fool in front of billions of people around the world. And I just remember thinking to myself like, well, I don't have anything to lose right now. Why don't I try something you know, dramatically different that no one's ever seen. And maybe it'll give me a shot at winning. Like what I, it's like you either go out there and you try something new and fall and don't win, or you do what you know how to do and don't win. Right. I, I, I felt like to me, there was no other option. I needed to do this radical routine. So, um, my coach told me over and over and over again, he's like, John, absolutely not. Don't do it. Don't even think about it. Why he let me try it after begging him enough in the practice facility. And I fell on the routine probably 10, 15 times. And he was like, he, he came up to me. He was like, see, you shouldn't do it. I was like, no, I'm doing it. 
um, one of the quotes that I used in my in the book, something that was just in my head, I couldn't get it out during the Olympics, was a quote from the movie Miracle, where the uh, it, for our listeners, uh, Miracle is about the 1980 U.S. hockey team defeating the Soviets, and Herb Brooks before they go out to play the Soviet team, he says to the guys, "Hey, you might play them ten times and they beat us nine, but not this one." And I just kept thinking to myself, I might try this routine 100 times and fall 99, but not this one. I can do this yeah. in the moment un- under the lights and the pressure and the cameras and the 40,000 people and the billions around the world. Well, I stepped up there. I went for the routine, big skill after big skill. I continued to succeed and catch the bar. I was flying over the bar doing flips and twists if you watch the routine. And then I wound up and did the world's hardest dismount, triple twisting, double backflip. I landed on my feet. Next thing I know, I've got another medal around my neck at the Olympic Games. Yeah. And a lot of people are now doing some of those difficult moves because you started it. Yeah. So I kind of started a trend, which I don't know if uh, some of the older generation in the, in the gymnastics world was very happy with. But now, because of what I did in 2008, the last several Olympics, 12 and 16, uh, the guys on you know all of the different routines, people have been upgrading and changing them at the last moment to try to see who can go the biggest and who can do the hardest stuff at the Olympics. And so I completely changed the game of gymnastics yeah. when it comes to how to compete. Right. I mean, you look at other sports like figure skating, for example. If anyone is old enough to remember Dorothy Hamill's gold-winning figure skating routine at the Montreal Olympics in 1976, and you compare that to what the gold medal routines look like now, night and day, you wonder, oh, how, did she, how did she win a gold medal? Well, that's what was that's what was acceptable then. I mean, you couldn't she couldn't do that routine now and win a medal. That's how far the sport has advanced. And gymnastics is the same thing. It's absolutely yep. amazing. So let me ask you, how did your life change after the Olympics? Did people help you stay grounded? Because I'm sure there's the temptation to think you're all that in a bag of chips and more. Well, you know, I was very blessed to have a good support system around me. I got married right after the Olympics. I had my family here in Houston, Texas, where I currently reside that, you know, kept me in check to some level. But I will say there was a time where my head did swell a little bit. You know, I was an Olympian with Olympic medals and I was making decent money touring around the country, doing shows. You know, I, there was a point right after the games where I got a lot of airtime at the Olympics. And so when I got home from Beijing, I was recognized everywhere I went. I'll never forget landing and coming off the airplane and immediately being swarmed by people going, Whoa, we just saw you on TV. And I sat there and signed autographs in the airport for a while. And so, you know, you start to, you can't help but think, wow, hey, I might be kind of a big deal. Um, But, you know, it's just as soon as you go up, you come right back down. That's just kind of how life is. The next year I went to the world championships and completely bombed and had a terrible competition. And, you know, it was because of that moment that I realized I need to put in the work ethic that I had before the, the Olympics in 2008. If I want to do anything else with this sport, I have to change my attitude. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, again, my career was filled with just highs and lows. I wish it was at some, t- sometimes I think back and go, man, I wish it was more of a kind of an even keel of a, of a career, but it was, I never was just in the middle. I was never a lukewarm kind of person. I was either at the highest of highs or the lowest of lows. And, you know, a lot of times it is, it's tough to keep your, yourself in check during those moments. 
Absolutely. And you did eventually retire. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's in the book that we won't get to, but you were injured right before the Rio Olympics in 2016. And uh, you were basically forced to take your career in another direction. So how do you interpret that when you realize you were no longer able to do the thing that you have loved doing all your life? What is that moment of realization like? Well, I think it's tough. You know, anytime you know us as people you know we we're like we like to be in control of our lives you know and yeah. we like to think that i'm in complete control i decide where i'm going to go what i'm going to do but the truth is life is full of unknowns mm-hmm. and at the end of my career i got injured I, I ended up having my third shoulder surgery in in a three-year span of time and there i was sitting on my couch popping pain pills and probably drinking too much i even say that in my book i'm not ashamed to say it i was kind of hit rock bottom yeah and i remember thinking to myself like who am i now like what am i going to do all i yeah. know is gymnastics and it was such a challenge for me yeah. to realize that life was more than just gymnastics and i'm not defined by this one thing right and How- I was going to say, how how have you stayed involved in gymnastics since you retired from competition? Yeah, so I, I've stayed involved in a lot of ways. I, I continue to uh, be a part of the different committees that pick the world and Olympic team now. I'm currently a member of the selection committee that will be picking the next Olympic team. Um, I do some part-time coaching from here here and there. I go around the country and I work with kids. I, I One of my favorite things to do is go to a gymnastics facility and work with the teams and speak to the kids, share a lot of my experiences and also be able to speak with parents of kids that are athletes and be able to say, Hey, look, this is hard. And the best thing that you can do for your kids is to love them and support them and don't push them. Um, there's a certain level of pushing that we have to do as parents, but I, I meet a lot of parents that it's their dream for their kids to be professional athletes, but it has to be the kid's dream. Yeah. So, so important. So let me ask you, if you could talk to the 18-year-old version of yourself right now, what might you tell him? Calm down. (laughs) I would tell myself to calm down. When I was 18 years old, I battled frustration and feeling like I'm never going to get where I want to go and wondering if this dream was ever going to come true. And I just, I know a lot of my frustrations uh, just kind of slowed me down. And I would just tell myself, look, enjoy the moment, soak it in, bask in the experience of the fact that you get to do this sport that you love. And I would have just, I'd be able to look back and just say, hey, relax. Awesome. We're coming up against our final break. I cannot believe how quickly this is going. My very special guest and my dear friend, Jonathan Horton, is here with us today. Please stay with us. Don't go away. Down the structure come. When we come right back, this is Success Profiles Radio. Be right back. The mission is to motivate and inspire others to discover their unique talents and follow their dreams in life. This is Success Profiles Radio. If you are in business, what is the number one thing that stops revenue growth? Not having enough leads. Data is the new gold rush. 
With phone sites, that is never an issue. You can generate as many leads as you want without paying a lead broker. With phone sites, you can build a website or sales funnel from your mobile device in five minutes or less without any technical skills or without downloading an app. It's easy and you have nothing to lose. Try it for free for 14 days at phonesites.com forward slash Brian. Once again, that's phonesites.com forward slash Brian. This is the Tokinet Radio Network, radio with a cutting edge. Welcome back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles, if I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio. And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright. And we are back. This is Success Profiles Radio. My very special guest this week is Jonathan Horton. His book is called Failing Forward, How an Ordinary Kid Failed His Way to His Olympic Dream, available on December 10th on Amazon. So, Jonathan, when athletes retire, they very frequently find other competitive outlets, and you found that with American Ninja Warrior. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, towards the end of my career, I started – Searching for some other competitive outlets, and the, the one that found that I found and just made a ton of sense was Ninja Warrior. And you know, my first season on the show was season six, and I want to say it was 2013. And to tell you the honest truth, I thought I was going to go on to this TV show. I had watched it a, a million times, and I always thought to myself, "This is easy. Like I got this. I'm gonna, mm-hmm. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna win the grand prize of a million dollars." This is going to be a joke. Well, I get on and I end up ripping through the course until I get to the fifth obstacle. And it, the, the obstacle is called the ring toss. And I get about halfway through the ring toss and my arms just completely gassed out. And there I go splashing in the water. And the really ironic thing is at the time I was the seventh best gymnast in the world on the rings. And here I am falling on the rings on national TV. But, um, you know, at that moment I got out of the water and I remember thinking, okay, this is way harder than I thought, but it is awesome. And I kind of found my new love. Uh, but, you know, like the rest of my career, I have not been a very good Ninja Warrior competitor. I've now been on five seasons of the show. I am always made fun of by the rest of my competitors. Not like they not really made fun of. They just kind of pick at me a little bit because I am I'm kind of known as the strongest, best competitor that's never made it to the national finals at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, five five years now, and I have come up short every single season of making it to the national finals, finals which is held in Las Vegas. And so I actually, uh, today, I just uh, worked on my season 12 application to go back on the show. Every year they require us to make a video and, uh, and apply. And so I'm looking forward to my sixth season on the show. And who knows, maybe it'll be like my gymnastics career. I'll finally break through and I'll do something great. Fantastic. I was going to ask you what the audition process is like. You you make a video, right? And what, what do they look for? Yeah, so it's actually – it's pretty simple, really. Anybody can apply for the show. Um, and de- the deadline, if anybody's listening and they want to apply, it's December 6th. I know. I'm cutting it close. But um, all you have to do is you go online, go to uh, AmericanNinjaWarrior.com and, and hit uh, – apply for the show and then you'll fill out probably 20 30 pages of paperwork about yourself and then they ask you to make a three-minute video just being real on camera uh, telling them who you are why you want to be on the show what's special about you have you had to overcome anything um you know because 
in reality, people have to remember it is a TV show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, those of us that do it, it's a, it's a big time competition to us. We love it, but we have to remember it's a TV show where they're trying to tell stories. They want people to be inspired, and so as you're applying, you have to remember, like, think about what in your life could be inspiring to people, and then if they love your story, if they think that you're a good athlete, they'll bring you on, and it's a great experience. Fantastic. This has really grown as a sport. There are Ninja Warrior gyms all over the country now, too, aren't there? They're, they are everywhere, Brian. I mean, I kid you not, there's probably thousands of Ninja Warrior facilities all across the United States and the world at this point. I know that they're in Canada, they're in Australia, they're starting to grow in Germany right now. Um, the Netherlands and all of those countries that I just listed all have their own version of the show that has broken off from American Ninja Warrior, even though American Ninja Warrior started from the Japanese version. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's crazy. The sport has grown rapidly. I've thought about starting my own Ninja Warrior facility personally, just because even if the show were to end, there's there's a lot of roots to ninja yeah. sports at this yeah. point. It's It's really cool and people love it. Yeah, I remember watching a Japanese obstacle course style show on ESPN once and I was eating dinner and I remember in the middle of the course, you had to solve a math problem in order to unlock the door to the next obstacle. I thought that was so (laughs) random. I wonder how many people would fail at the math problem. I mean, we're talking things like, you know, 17 plus 12, not not hard, not hard stuff at all. But you couldn't advance until you got the problem right. I don't know if they'll ever introduce that. In American Ninja Warrior, not it might be interesting. What's tough about that though is when you are physically taxed, and then you have to go and all of a sudden use your brain. You would be blown away by how hard it is. I'm telling you, at the end of a ring routine, when I just strained as hard as I could for 45 seconds, if you ask me what two plus two is, I may I may not be able to tell you right away. Right, absolutely. And you also have grown your personal business by speaking to groups. I've seen you speak several times. You're getting better and better all the time. In fact, any event planners out there, you must hire Jonathan Horton. He's inspiring. He he will be fantastic for you. You speak for kids groups and you speak for corporations. Tell us typically what you talk about. Yeah, so for the last eight years, I've really been working on my ability to just share my story and inspire people. I I go to a lot of business conferences myself, and you listen to experts in sales and marketing or real estate experts. Um, If anybody ever wants somebody to just come in and fire up your employees and inspire everybody to want to be better, that's what my goal is. Um, I want people to leave from my presentations just feeling like no matter what's in front of them, they can take on the world because I share all of my stories about my gymnastics career and the way I failed a million times but finally triumphant, you know, had the triumphant moment in the end. Um, I have more second place finishes in in the history of U.S. gymnastics than anybody else. I have the uh, the record for worst performance in U.S. history at a major international competition. I hold the record for the most falls at a world championships from anybody from the United States. I have all of these um, horrible records that, that just things that right. I should have I should have quit from. But in the end, uh, I was that kid that never quit. And out of all fifty of those little kids from that one meet when I was little, I was the one that ended up winning medals and becoming arguably one of the most successful gymnasts in the history of U.S. gymnastics. And so that's really what I share. I, I'm very – I feel like I, I'm real with people on stage. I I try to just um, you know take people through my journey and let them experience a little bit of what it was like to become an Olympian because it wasn't all sunshine and roses. It really wasn't. It was hard work, but in the end, it was worth it. 
Absolutely. And you have an agent that handles your speaking schedule. How helpful has that been to source that out? Oh, it's, it's been great. You know, if you, if you are um, pursuing a speaking career or any kind of career, in my opinion, where you need to negotiate fees, I think having someone that represents you is one of the greatest things that you can do. I tried to represent myself for a while and uh, you know, just being really candid with you and our listeners, it is so hard to mm-hmm. be on the phone with someone and say, here's what I'm worth. Mm-hmm. But if you have somebody that's, that can talk you up and, and, and make you sound like you're the greatest thing since sliced bread, you'll always make more money because right. it, it's, you have to find at, when you're doing it yourself, you have to find that happy medium between being really humble and not coming across as an arrogant, you know, punk. Yeah. <laughs> and then also really getting what you're worth because all of us work hard. And if you are pursuing something like this, you're worth a lot and you can't sell yourself short. And, um, so I, I've got an agent that I've been working with for the past few years. He is phenomenal. His name's Kevin cry. He lives in California. And, um, you know, one of the other things that I'm doing besides speaking to companies and schools is I I am a man of faith. I am going to be doing some more, um, kind of ministry stuff. I'm going to be speaking at some churches in the near future, uh, you know, sharing my story and the way God has worked through my life. And so I, I just, it's the career that I have has continued to open more doors. And, um, like I said, it's, it's been a wild ride, but yes, back to the, the agent thing. It's been great to have someone represent me. Yeah. Do you advocate that every speaker do this? Oh, absolutely. And I've met a lot of speakers that, um, have tried to do it on their own and they all have the same story. They're like, Oh man, you know, I've been capped out at this amount of money that I'm, that I'm able to get. And just, maybe I'm just not that good. And, um, I actually had a buddy of mine. I sat down and had lunch. I'm not going to name him, <laughs> no. you know, drop his name. But, um, you know, he was telling me the other day, you know, he speaks anywhere from 12 to 15 times a year, which isn't bad being able to get one gig a month. And he said, you know, I, I really am kind of capped around the $7,500 mark and I want to speak more and I want to make more. And I had never heard him speak before. I said, Hey, send me a video. The guy was phenomenal. And I was like, yeah. Oh my gosh, you are a twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 speaker. He goes, really? I said, you need an agent. You need somebody that can negotiate for you. Someone that can like me, I would hop on the phone and tell somebody how amazing this guy is yeah. because he can't himself go, Hey, I'm phenomenal. You have to hire me and right. pay me $30,000. It's just too hard. Yeah. Absolutely. So let me ask you, how important has gratitude been to your overall success? We talked about that at the very beginning of the show. Oh, I, I, I loved what you said at the beginning of the show. Um, living a life of thankfulness and a, of gratitude is probably, to me, fundamentally one of the most important things that I feel like I have to work on and do every day because mm-hmm. it's oftentimes we wake up and we think about what we don't have instead of what mm-hmm. we do have. And it'd be really easy for me to focus on the fact that I never won a gold medal at the Olympics. Oh, Michael Phelps has 23 gold medals. How come I couldn't get one, but I have to stop and smell the rose and go, Oh my gosh, you know what? I was blessed to be able to go to the Olympics and win a medal. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes I, 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 I'll go over to a friend's house. I'm like, wow, he's got a really fast car and a huge house. And I'm like, man, I wish I had all this stuff. But then it's the same thing. We have to stop and go, wait, I know I don't have this, but think about what I do have. And I think gratitude is so important because it keeps us from becoming bitter. It it keeps us from becoming unsatisfied with our lives. And I know we've all heard the saying, you know, money doesn't buy happiness, but 
success really doesn't buy happiness either. No. We have to find a way to live a life of happiness regardless of our circumstance. Absolutely. What has surprised you about your journey? Oh, man, I've, I've had a lot of surprises in my journey, Brian. Um, I think the biggest surprise for me is being able to look back and just see how all of all the pieces have fallen into place even when I didn't think they would. Um, I look at my gymnastics career. I look at my marriage and my kids, and I think back on all of the times that I was stressed out and caught up in the moment, and now I look back and go, oh, it all worked. Like, yeah. look at where I am. I think that's the, without a doubt, the biggest surprise to me and one of the things that I share with people is if you just work really hard, you believe in yourself. And I know it's all cliche things to say, but it's true. There's a reason it's cliche. It's because yeah. it's true. Uh, if you just do the necessary things, you're going to look back one day and go, huh, okay, I, get, I guess this is who I'm supposed to be. This is where I'm in the right spot. It all worked out. Yeah, we've got about a minute or so till the end. Who inspires and motivates you? Oh, I, you know, I'm inspired by a lot of people. I think I mentioned earlier, I, I follow a lot of other inspirational speakers on social media. I follow people like Tony Robbins and Gary Vee. I also follow big-time sports people. Um, you know, I love Tim Tebow. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, I love – I. I feel like other people that are like me that are just trying to throw out their stories and inspire people, they're like the sun to like Superman. I absorb that stuff. And it, it, it's, if you're not listening to, uh, you know, shows like this one and other inspirational shows, if you're not watching motivational speakers on YouTube or, or listening to, to other people's stories, you're really doing yourself a disservice. And that's, I just draw off of everyone. Fantastic. And where can we find you and learn more about you quickly? I'm all over social media. Um, Jay Horton one, one on Instagram, J underscore Horton 11 on Twitter. People can email me at Jonathan Horton at att.net. And I am always available. I love to uh, speak with people and I, uh, you know, love to inspire. All right. Thanks for being here, Jonathan. And thanks for all of you for being here this week. This has been Success Profiles Radio. Join us every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, where I interview world-class achievers, learn what they overcame and what the lessons we can learn from it. Take care, everyone. See you next week. Goodbye. .com. If you've ever wa- BrianKWright.com. If you've ever wondered if there's more to life than you're currently living, then Success Profiles Radio is the program for you. Join us again next week for more Success Profiles Radio with your host, Brian K. Wright.